0: I was at the mall in Johnson City a couple years ago, and uh, I was standing in line to purchase my item. And I looked on the floor, and there happened to be a $10 bill on the floor. So I bent down, picked it up, asked the person in front of me, is this yours? No, it's not mine. Turned around, asked the guy behind me, you didn't happen to drop this, did you? And he's like, no, I I didn't. He said, looks like you found yourself a treasure. I said, yeah, guess I did, stuck it in my pocket, paid for my item and I was going out to my car. And as I was walking out to my car, I took that $10 bill out of my pocket and I looked at it and it did not have one zero on it. It had two zeros on it. I had not found a $10 bill. I had found a $100 bill. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I very rarely find a penny, let alone a hundred bucks. So when I found that I was just like over the moon excited So excited, I could hardly contain myself. You probably know that feeling, that feeling of enthusiasm and excitement, right? You've probably found a treasure of your own a time or two. Maybe you're a garage sailor, and you found uh, something very valuable for a dollar. Or maybe um, you collect something. Maybe you collect baseball cards, and you have found the one card that you just didn't think you were ever going to find. It was cause for celebration, wasn't it? Maybe you've been house hunting, and you you've finally found the one, and you wanted to rejoice in that, right? Well, I want you to muster up that feeling. I want you to think about that feeling, you know, drum it up, and, and listen to these words from Psalm 119 as you think about that feeling. I rejoice in your word, O Lord, like one who finds great treasure. David Platt is the author of the book Radical, you may have heard of him, and he talks about a trip that he made over to Asia, and he was working um, with a house church in Asia, a house church that was under the threat of persecution. They had gathered together for the sole purpose of studying the Bible. Platt says this, Imagine all the blinds closed on the windows of a dimly lit room. Twenty leaders from different churches in the area sat on the floor with their Bibles open. Some of them had sweat on their foreheads after walking miles and miles to get there. Others were dirty from the dust in the villages from which they had set out on bikes early that morning. Platt says he, he prepared some lessons for them, Bible lessons, and shared those lessons with them. And when he had completed them, they said, We want more. Can you teach us the Old Testament? We don't know those stories that well. Teach us the Old Testament. And so he proceeded to teach the Old Testament. When he finished, those lessons, they said, teach us the New Testament, we want more, and he taught the New Testament. He said eight to 12 hours every day, day after day for a few weeks, he taught these, these people, these believers. And his assessment of the situation, they were hungry. January 12th, 2010, you may remember the earthquake that hit the already impoverished nation of Haiti. It rocked that nation, devastating it. Thousands lost their lives, even more lost family, friends, belongings. And reporters from around the globe descended on Port-au-Prince, the, the nation's capital. And they were you know, reporting from the epicenter of the, of the earthquake. I remember sitting and watching TV, maybe you remember it too, and, and these reporters were you know, coming up with their different stories and different angles. And one reporter was talking to a little girl that he had met. And he asked her what possessions she had left after the earthquake. And she took him to the tent that was made out of tattered plastic and it was the makeshift home of her family. She took him there and and she went inside the tent and when she came out, she brought out a Bible. And he said, that's it, that's all you have left? That's your only possession? And I'll never forget. She took that Bible, she held it to her chest and she said, it is enough. is enough. Do we rejoice in the word? Do we hunger for it? Is it enough? George Barna would say no. Through his research, he, he says this, biblical literacy is neither a current reality nor a goal in the United States of America. Krish Kandia, who's the director of the Evangelical Alliance in the U.K., and he leads a team of activists who promote Bible reading and Bible teaching, and he distills the issue when he says this, We own more Bibles than we will ever use, but we are slowly starving to death because we've lost our appetite for Scripture. You see, we are biblically illiterate, and it's a problem. It's a problem in our society, I think, I believe it's a problem in our churches, too. I have my own name for this. I call it a no problem, K-N-O-W. And I'm not talking about just the knowledge, you know, of the facts and details of of Scripture in our heads, but it's that, that knowledge, that information that takes a journey from our heads down to our hearts where we know who God is and we know what he's done, we know what he says. I mean, it's, we know him. It's an intimacy with God. It's an intimacy with his word. And we're not the only ones to have ever experienced this no problem. I think the children of Israel actually could be our poster children for that because all throughout the Old Testament, we see that they struggle with knowing who God is and what he's done. And it gets so bad, and, and God sends prophet after prophet to them, and it got to the point where God just brought a case against them, kind of a, a legal case. And he, he says this through the prophet Hosea. Hosea outlines it for us in chapter 4. Read along with me, or, or listen as I read these words. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy or a case against the inhabitants of the land. There's no faithfulness, there's no steadfast love, there is no knowledge of God in the land. There's swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery, they break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. You see, there's a problem. The complaint in this case, there's no knowledge of God. The evidence, There's a litany of things that God presents. And you know, Hosea was written nearly 3,000 years ago, but it's just as current today. His words, because I believe that God could bring a case against us today because there is a no problem among us. You need evidence? We could look at our society, couldn't we? I mean, there's lying. Murder, swearing, stealing, adultery, bloodshed, following bloodshed. But if we need some statistics, let's just look at some since 1963. Because every societal indicator since 1963 points to the fact that there is no knowledge of God in our land. Criminal arrest of teens is up 150%. Teen suicides is up 450%. Illegal drug activity is up 6,000%. Child abuse cases are up 2,300%. Divorce is up 350%. Violent crime has risen 350%. T- uh, teen pregnancies has escalated dramatically. Everything's gone up, except for the national morality figures, and they have plummeted. And why the 1963 benchmark? Well, it just so happens that that's the year that our Supreme Court ordered the removal of Bible reading from our public schools. (laughs) Now, whether you agree or think that that there's a correlation there, it's really not our issue. There's evidence. There's evidence that our society does not value God and does not value His Word. Now, I suspect that we could really get all crazy about, yes, our society, our society, but... I think we can narrow the scope a little bit, because this no problem is my problem too. Just recently, or most recently, I guess, um, I've struggled with some unforgiveness and bitterness in my life. I've fed it. <laughs> I've nurtured it. You know, I felt like I had a right to it because I had been wronged. I even had well-meaning people in my life who encouraged that kind of behavior, that kind of attitude, because they knew my side of the story and they wanted to be a good friend, right? Because I'd been wrong, but even though I'd been wronged, I was in the wrong when I withheld forgiveness and withheld grace. Because you know, the Bible's pretty clear about this issue. And the evidence um, suggests that I had a no problem. What about in your life? Do you, do you see evidence of a no problem? How are you handling your money, your possessions? What do your relationships look like? What about your marriage? How do you treat the poor and the needy? Are you concerned about matters of injustice and to what extent? Where are your kids spiritually? How do you prioritize your time? What kind of reputation do you have among your coworkers? The Bible speaks very clearly to all these issues and a whole lot more, and yet we're not very familiar with what God has to say about these things. You see, this no problem isn't everyone else's problem. This no problem is our problem. So what? So what happens when we and our society don't value God and don't value his word? Well, as in any case, there's, there's a verdict. And a verdict is announced or pronounced through Hosea by God. And this is what he says. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You see, the verdict is destruction. And beyond that, which, I mean, that's devastating enough, but beyond that, we've broken the heart of God because God desires so much more for us. In Hosea 6.6, 6, he says, I want you to know me. I don't want your religious checklists. I don't want, you know, uh, the religiosity. I want you to know me. It is my desire for you to know me. That's what God longs for. But we have a no problem. Enter Psalm 119. You're probably wondering when I was going to get there, right? (laughs) Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is a love song about God's word. And this can turn our no problem into no problem. The author of Psalm 119, we're not sure exactly who it is. Some think it's David, some say Ezra, others say Jeremiah. But it doesn't matter who it is. We just know that this person loves the word of God and delights in the word of God and has a sweet relationship with God and his word. This is, a, like Mike said, the longest chapter in all of scripture, 176 verses. And we're not gonna read all 176. I know you're very disappointed in that. <laughs> we're gonna read a couple stanzas, though, because we have time for that. Because I want you to understand and get an idea of what the flow of this is and what it sounds like and how the the author just loves God's word. And just so you know, almost every single one of those 176 verses, I think there's two or three, that do not have a reference to God's word. Otherwise, every single one does, whether it says precepts or commandments or statutes or laws, there's a reference to God's word. And so I'm gonna read for you the first two stanzas from Psalm 119. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 176 verses, and the psalmist breaks them down into 22 different stanzas, and each stanza highlights a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. I want to follow the psalmist format this morning and highlight different letters of the alphabet, although we're not going to do the Hebrew because I don't know Hebrew. We're going to use our English alphabet, and I want to talk about the ABCs of falling in love with God's word. The first thing we wanna talk about is that the word of God is accessible. It's accessible. It's within reach. God's word is for anyone, it's for everyone. You don't have to be a scholar, you don't have to be clergy, you don't have to know Greek, you don't have to know Hebrew, you don't have to know the cultural ins and outs. Anyone can understand God's word because he himself is our teacher. You know, I think oftentimes we use this as an excuse not to dig into God's word because we think, well, we don't understand it. But God has something to say about this. In verse 130, the psalmist says this, your instructions are a doorway through which light shines. They give insight to the untrained. He even then goes on to talk about um, how we have more understanding than our teachers, and well, let's just read it. This stanza gives us no excuse because God's word is accessible to all of us. Verses 97 through 104. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. I don't think we really can wrap our minds around this. The fact that the creator of the universe, our creator, has spoken to us and we have his words available to us and we have access to those words, to think about that is mind boggling. We can know him. So the word of God is accessible. The word of God is beneficial. It's beneficial. You know Elizabeth Barrett Browning in her sonnet says, how do I love thee, let me count the ways? Well the psalmist has the same sentiment. And he's saying it in regard to the word of God. There's countless reasons that he loves the word of God. And one of those is that there are so many benefits. God lavishes blessings and benefits on those who love him and delight in his word. There's a few things that we want to talk about as far as benefits, and I wish I could go over all of them. Um, But again, they're innumerable. (laughs) But I want to give you a little sampling of these benefits. For example... God's word guards against sin. Verse 11, which we've already read, says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And if we need an example of this, we could talk about um, a friend of ours who struggled with pornography. And so he set up an accountability partner to monitor his computer, had access to it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, And the reason he did this is because of a verse in Job that he read that said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. You see, God's word guards against sin. Another benefit is God's word gives life. It brings salvation. Verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. If we need an example of that, we could talk to the Hindu couple. They were seeking a, a higher level of education for their children and they ended up at a Christian school. The Christian administrator wanted to um, explain the core values of the school and so he, he asked the people, um, he said, I just want you to understand what this school is about and so he had them read different passages of scripture aloud. He'd give them a verse, they'd read, the, read that out loud and then explain it a little bit another verse read it aloud explain it and he did this until they came to 1 John 5:12 and 1 John 5:12 says this whoever has the son of god has life he who does not have the son of god does not have life and when the father read that out loud he began weeping and he said i don't have this life i, I want this life You see, the word of God gives life. God's word gives peace. It's another benefit. Verse 165, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. We could ask the man who was struggling with addiction and his marriage was all but over. He had hit rock bottom. He decided that he was going to go and commit suicide. So he went to a hotel, and that was where he was going to do this deed. When he got into the room, he saw a Bible on top of the television. It's a place there by the Gideons. It made him angry. So he took his arm, and he just swiped that Bible off the top of that TV, and it fell to the floor, opened at his feet. And when he looked down, he read these words, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Those were life-changing and (laughs) life-altering words for that man. And do you know he is now a minister and his wife serves alongside of him? Another benefit, God's word sustains during difficult seasons. Verse 92 says, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. And if you need an example of that, I kind of want to share my story with you today. Today marks the um, six month anniversary of my dad's death. He died January 22nd this year. And a year ago this month, I lost my mom. So within six months time, I lost both my parents this last year. And um, honestly, it's been quite a stinky year. (laughs) And if it had not been for God's word, I would have perished in my affliction. God's word sustained me in ways I never thought possible. Passages like, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Or Psalm 34, 18, that says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And then I've got a new favorite, and it's kind of a a goofy one, I guess, because it comes from Jeremiah. I decided I was going to study some scripture this summer, and Jeremiah happened to be the thing I landed on, which... If you're grieving and you're struggling, I don't know that Jeremiah's like your, your best bet. He's the weeping prophet, you know? I probably should have gone with Philippians, which is, a, which is about joy. But whatever, I studied Jeremiah, and uh, I came across a passage, Jeremiah 15:16, that says, and your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. I can't tell you how that has helped me in my grief. It's a benefit of God's word. And there are so many more benefits that I haven't even touched on. I haven't talked about how God's word brings strength or hope, purity, freedom, mercy, deliverance, comfort, wisdom, salvation, counsel, joy, safety. I mean, everything we need for life and godliness is contained in the passages of the Bible. Genesis to Revelation, benefit after benefit after benefit. You may understand that, it takes, uh, that, that God's word is accessible, right? We get that, that's one of the ABCs, it's accessible. Another ABC is that it's beneficial, you get that, but yet we're still not falling in love with God's word so much. Why is that? Maybe because it takes effort. And the third thing, the letter C, that I wanna talk about this morning for the ABCs and falling in love with God's word is that it takes chutzpah. That's our C. You didn't see that one coming, did you? <laughs> it takes chutzpah, and what is hutzpah? It's shameless audacity. Hutzpah is David facing the giant Goliath with a slingshot and a stone. Hutzpah is Peter and John looking in the eyes of the ones who put them in prison and saying, we must obey God rather than men. And hutzpah is Esther going before the, the king and asking for her people to be saved at the very own cost of her own, I mean, not the cost, but at peril to her own life. It takes chutzpah to do that, doesn't it? And it takes chutzpah for you and me to to put forth great energy and great effort and to dig deeply into God's word and to do so unashamedly and unapologetically. And that may sound a little bit dramatic to you, but I want you to think about the world in which we live. Because our world, our society, the environment in which we find ourselves, they scoff at these kind of efforts. And they demean and belittle and ridicule anyone who considers God's Word to be truth. And so it takes but it takes shameless audacity for us to, to run after this and lay hold of it so that we might know it. So I wanna talk about a couple practical tips of how we can do this, right? But before I do, let me just preface it by saying this. This is not a guilt trip. Romans 8.1 says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is not meant to make us feel guilty. And this is not about legalism, adding to what we have to do, you know, to earn salvation. We don't earn salvation. Ephesians 2.8 tells us it's by grace we've been saved through faith And it's not our own doing. It's a gift of God. And so this is not about us feeling badly or us being burdened. God doesn't, he's not about that. What he is about is that we we make a change. And if we've been heading one direction, kind of away from God's word, it's time for us to change that direction and run toward his word. And that takes effort. It takes diligence. And that's what we're going to talk about right now how we can do that. And the first tip I have for you on falling in love with God's word and changing our habits and our actions and our attitudes is to read Psalm 119. Read Psalm 119. Four stanzas each day. And we'll get through the, get through the 176 verses in one week. It's, it's not asking a lot. And as you read through that Psalm, look at the actions and the attitude of the psalmist and then mimic what he's doing. You know, our daughter Avery, she used to play um, keyboards downstairs in the worship service. And when she was first asked to do that, she didn't really know what she was doing so much. She didn't know any of the songs. And so they'd give her the new songs every single week. And she would take them, you know, take that and, and take it home. And she would go on YouTube and she would look up a tutorial of how to play that particular song. And she would watch it and she'd practice and she'd watch it and she'd practice until finally by Sunday she could play it the way it needed to be played. Psalm 119 is our Old Testament version of a YouTube tutorial. We can look at the psalmist and mimic what he's doing. I mean, think about what he does. And and it it lists for us in there, the psalmist shows us how to meditate on on the word of God. He meditates and thinks about it and mulls it over. He fixes his eyes on it. If we want to be about God's word, we've got to open it up and fix our eyes on it. And learn it and know it and memorize it. When's the last time we've memorized a passage of Scripture? The psalmist longs for the Word. He delights in the Word. He keeps the Word. He obeys it. He does not forget it. He speaks of it boldly. He speaks of it often. He sets it before him. He does not delay. He's not a procrastinator when it comes to God's Word. He runs after it. He seeks wholeheartedly and loves the word of God. The psalmist goes after God's word with great chutzpah, shameless audacity, and so should we because he longs for us to do this. He longs for us to know him. So read Psalm 119 and mimic the psalmist. And then secondly, read the rest of the Bible. (laughs) How about that for a little chunk of things, something to do? There is a great app that can help you do this because it is overwhelming, I know, when you look at the task, it's overwhelming. But there's a great app that I found, it's called Read Scripture App, and it's part of the Bible Project. And I don't have time to go into detail about it, but if you wanna Google it, look it up, you can find out some information about it. And what it does is it helps keep you on task for reading through scripture. And it gives you some contextual um, videos to help you understand the the big picture of what you're reading. It's a fantastic app, Um, actually, I was leading a, a Bible study in our church last year, and Jeff and Vandy France, they're members of our church, they were part of that group. And Jeff was intrigued by this. And so he took it upon himself to start reading through the Bible. He said he'd never done it before. He, he gave me permission to tell this story. And so he, uh, he started reading through the Bible using the Read Scripture app. Well, a couple months ago, he caught me after church one Sunday, and he said, I just want you to know I finished reading it. We like high-fived and celebrated, and I said, hey, tell me, um, what did you glean from it? I mean, did you find any benefits of it? And he proceeded to tell me a whole list of things that he found that were beneficial. But one thing that struck me, he said, you know, every morning when I would read, it it set my feet on the right path. He said, like, it set my direction for the day. How beautiful is that? (laughs) And I said, did you find yourself falling in love with the Word, or did you delight in the Word now? I mean, like, how do you feel about it? And he goes, you know, initially, I I can't say that I did. He said, it was just discipline. I just had to make the effort and force myself to start reading. And he said, and now, yeah, I I delight in the Word. I said, are you going to read through it again? No, he said, I, I'm gonna read the New Testament this time. I'm not gonna do the whole Bible. He said, I wanna focus on the New Testament. I just kinda of wanna wallow in it. It's beautiful. A couple of weeks ago, my husband, Ron, was sitting at the breakfast table and he was reading the Bible, which he does regularly. And he also was reading a little prayer devotional, and it happened to be a prayer devotional that I've written. It's called Praying the Names of God, and it's 200 prayer devotionals using different names of God throughout scripture. And he had the hugest smile on his face as he was reading that devotional. And I was like, why are you you looking like that? He said, you know, it's so much fun to read a book when you know the author. It is so much fun to read a book when you know the author. Let's pray. Oh God, we want to be like the psalmist. We want to be able to say, oh, I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Strengthen our hearts and our hands that we might know you more. I pray we'll be able to say I rejoice in your word as one who finds great treasure. And Lord, I pray these things in your name, the name of Jesus who is the word. Amen.